Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Community Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Korva. And I am Kikita Kaori. And we have good stuff for you today! We do. We have a fiction and we have some a deep dive lore discussion. And the fiction is A Discerning Eye and Unyielding Resolve by Tyler Parrott. Uh, and we are going to be looking at geisha and geisha houses because they are mentioned in that fiction. And so we thought, good idea for a topic. Right. Um, so, uh, starting out, though, uh, A Discerning Eye and Unyielding Resolve. Again, it was written by Tyler Parrott, who is the lead designer and overall lead for the L5R property at FFG. So this is his very first fiction as well. And in this story, uh, Kitsuki Chiari, who we have met before, presents her findings from her investigations into uh, the misbehavior of the servants or the brand new servants in the castle Mm. uh, to Agasha Sumiko, the ruby champion and Miramoto Hitomi, and uh, basically her conclusion, she believes that Choju assassinated the emperor. Uh, mm. And she brings forward uh, some interesting coincidences and some testimony, and, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> that's going to be a volatile we'll conclusion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll get to get to what we think about that uh, in our discussion bit, but we'll first <laughs> mention some law nuggets and notes and things that you can glean from this. Uh, Lord Just Dust, Lord Justicar Goro is mentioned, head of the Kitsuki Justicars, and they were in the old law anyway. They were magistrates who pursued fugitives and dueled them. And so they they did justice through the use of dueling. I don't think they've right. been, they don't think they've been they don't have a school in current law. But, no, they uh, don't. It is but it's that apparent being mentioned as a group. Right, it's apparent that uh, that is what Chiari is. So she's mm. he's her sensei, boss sensei. Yeah, yeah. So they used to get a, a bonus. They, there was a, there were an alternate path where they got a bonus if they were dueling people that they thought were guilty of something or they knew <laughs> were guilty of something. And I had a character, the ca- character that my my Discord persona is based off, would have got that, except it was a rank three technique. And rank three in standard Kitsuki is the Ichimiru Sherlock Holmes. I can see by the way you stand that you're you 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 worked in the north side of this island, and everyone goes, <gasps> and you just you can't. You can't give that up. You have, <laughs> if you're going to be a Kitsuki, you need that. I mean, shocking. Uh, <laughs> so, so there are Justicars, and uh, the Lord Justica is apparently Goro. Kitsuki, presumably. Presumably Kitsuki Goro. And I'm going to give you, I'm, I think you have to do the lesser because you got that right. So you have to do <laughs> yes. that. Yes. Uh, yeah, it does reference a letter from Yogo Junzo to Bayushi Shoju. Which is basically the Scorpion 2020 clan war letter. Um, and mm. it said, you know, 
in secret code, uh, a curse of treason uh, upon the sword of the Hante, which is what we kind of worked out last podcast yep. before this story came out. So I, I don't know, go yes. um, it also <laughs> It also basically hinted, um, and Chiari drew from it, that the sword was sent to Shiroyogo for safekeeping, mm. um, which we had also kind of guessed from from yeah. reading that letter originally so that was kind of cool um uh, i think it's cool how it used the old english characters so that was mm. as as alternate ancient kanji so that's actually how chiari interpreted it too i think that's really neat. and we also now know why only the unicorn and lion letters were in the announcement and the the scorpion letter was simply sitting in the thing. that's because it was intercepted it was never uh-huh. it all makes sense now <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's as good an excuse as any <laughs> right <laughs> uh, yeah so you i mean you did actually a lot of the work on getting that so i was quite pleased it's a pity that that this fiction came out before the podcast where we worked out the code came out but never mind uh, we know in our hearts we got it right so there you go. <laughs> yes uh Meanwhile, moving on, Bayushi Sosetsu was identified by Doji, oh, good Lord, Doji Amamado, who uh, is the third assistant director of the Bureau of Palace Upkeep, uh, as the man who hired the new servants in What the Eye Cannot See, which was the previous Kitsuki Chiari fiction. Right. So he's so mentioned we, again. We, we now know of, yeah. <laughs> so we, we know of people like. The, the third assistant of the director of the Bureau of Palace Upkeep. And well, Dochi's Azuzu Mamoro was the uh, most boring man in Rokugan from that story. So yes. when she says in this story that she uh, found out about him hiring servants from an assistant director, mm. well, that's, that's the one. Um, yep. Let's see. So a lot of the story takes place in a geisha house, which is where we get our second uh, topic today. It's the house yep. of the golden willow. Uh, willows are often used as a symbol for geisha and um, courtesans and just that whole side of the world in historical Japan. Mm. So that's, of course, a very appropriate name. Um, and we have a lot of terms from uh, that geisha world. We'll talk about more in depth, but... Once in the story, we find out is uh, Okasan, which is literally mother, but it's also yep. used for the proprietress of a geisha house or Okia, uh, which is how it's used here. Uh, Taizo is a male geisha. Um, we'll talk about more about male geisha, but uh, ta- uh, that character is Taizo is a male geisha, and that is very traditional, even though it's not mm. necessarily something you... Uh, hear so much about today, no, talking about no. geisha in Japan. Uh, originally in Japan, many geisha were primarily ma- male and were called tekomochi or hokan, and then the jobs switched to primarily female in the late 1700s. And there are even yep. still male geisha out there today, just not very many of them. We have Maiko, who are apprentice geisha. They are younger girls. Um, Modern day, you don't tend to start on, until they're quite old, but the, you probably would be apprenticed the same way you're an apprentice carpenter quite young. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's who they are. Right. You have uh, Omamori were mentioned, which was 
prayer strip. It's a little strip of holy reading or a prayer or a sutra, generally in a fabric envelope tied with a string, uh, sometimes with another charm or a tassel on it. Uh, you would get them from temples, and they could be mm -hmm. like four specific things. Uh, they tend to be in the RPG. They tend to be blessings from one of the fortunes. Right. Here we go. Let's see. We have a scholarly work to add to our list of, you know, the Rokugani Library, Asako Ichi's Book of Ancient Poetry, written in the old Rokugani script, which uh, describes that there's been a modern drift in kanji over the centuries, which we'd expect. Mm. Um, and then we had uh, one amusing incident, uh, just op topic of idle gossip was that an Akoma courtier was discussed who had mistaken one of the regent's servants for his own, and it caused quite mm. the scandal. But I was amused because it did say that Sotatsu had brought in new servants from Phoenix and Lionlands. So it actually mm. could have been his own servant, or, or, or someone when they were spying enough. on them in the Lion Lands, and then they moved. <laughs> That's it. a possibility. So yeah, I mean, he could have been spying on the Akoma over in Lion Lands, and then Sadatsu says, "Oh, I need more, you know, loyal servants," and is shipping across the Empire looking for them, and brought his own servant back in. And I genuinely had not thought of that. <laughs> the Akoma courtier actually recognized <laughs> that it was his own, but with a new name and new identity because it's Scorpion. And so this poor Akoma courtier is being um, in this scandal, and it's, he's absolutely right. Nobody can prove it. Poor guy. It's me. Oh, dear. So that's our Lord Nuggets that we were able to glean. <laughs> we, we, we're able to mine law nuggets out of the fiction. Uh, so we've got some. There's, there's some discussions, like like does Sosatsu know that Chiari found the sword, for example? Right. He he sends uh, away the two servants um, with the sword. Um, well, at least Chiari thinks hmm. he's sending them away with the sword. Um, he knows about her inquiries into the kitchen and into the imperial quarters. So why did Choju send away the blade? So that uh, be <laughs> because that was the people, that was the result people, of the of, right. of the worlds or whatever whichever. of the worlds, right? Uh, I mean, not, it was the result of words. <laughs> but if you think about it, uh, Choju sent away their blade, so maybe he thinks there are people examining it, looking at it, mm. uh, messing with it in the quarters, and he wants to get rid of it. Because, I don't know, well, maybe he yeah. thinks somebody could trace it back to a murder. He's a very thorough guy. So he sends away and the it's also, blade for safekeeping. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the other possibility is that he needs it investigated because if, if he thinks that it's been cursed, then he may right. be thinking, eek, that needs to be dealt with. Who do I know who's really good at dealing with that stuff? Mm -hmm. I'm going to send it to them. So, so um, that's... Uh, there's a chance that the Scorpion know that Chiari was in there, basically. Mm. Or at least was messing around with a sword and sent it away so she didn't find anything. So that's that. Yeah. A little bit late. And Just uh, a at the end at the end of this particular function, Chiari is straight up asked, What do you think yeah, who do you think did it? 
And Chiari straight up says that she thinks it was Shoju who killed Hante. Which a lot of people were thinking, hmm, has she actually come to that? Yeah, does she have enough to come to that conclusion? Is she? Is is this a leap too far? Mm-hmm. That's quite a lot of debate. On this. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Is it a leap too far? I think it can be justified. It's just that I don't think we have the reasoning spelled out, as in not not the reasoning that we, the audience, should come to this conclusion, because mm-hmm. we know that we know the truth. But mm-hmm. we don't really have enough from Chiari's point of view of all the reasons that she is coming up with for why it was showed you. And I mm-hmm. don't know how much of that is simply word count. Like you have this much text to put into this right. fiction, go. I, mean, I, I think you can absolutely justify from her point of view, but but right. I don't um, think it's quite there on screen. <laughs> the previous story, Chiari thinks that um, her sensei or remembers back to her sensei saying she was too quick to jump to conclusions. So this is being, even if it is her jumping to conclusion, it is certainly in character for her mm. to jump to a conclusion. I don't yeah, think it's yeah. an unreasonable conclusion. So much of this story is people having to work on far too little evidence. Yeah. Um, but that that's life, you know, especially life mm. in a court where you're just like reading all these tiny, subtle clues about things. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, if you're, you're straining to figure out what that eye twitch meant, mm. then, then you're I used thought, to yeah, yeah, jumping yeah. to conclusions, basically. And you kind of have to, I mean, I think also just the, the thing that really makes sense to me is. The scorpion covered up the death. That is mm-hmm. 100% true. We know that's true. The scorpion covered up the death. And mm-hmm. there is no reason that anybody would come to other than that means they must have done it. Because uh, I don't think anyone would actually think, oh, well, clearly the imperial prince murdered his own father. Right, I, I just not... don't see that as a conclusion that most people come to. And, I think and it would be inconceivable for people, people to ab- think that. <laughs> Absolutely. And and I think the other thing is the Scorpion seemed to the outside world to be absolutely in lockstep, in total control by Shoju. Therefore, if the Scorpion covered up, therefore the Scorpion did it, therefore it was Shoju. Even if he didn't personally do the stabbing, right? he must logically be behind it. It's just that we know that's not true. Right. So we can say all we want about people who should have known this, should have that. But we know Mm. that it's different. But Scorpion's primary thing that they plug everywhere very publicly is loyalty. Mm. You know, everybody is loyal to Shoju. Yeah. Of course they're loyal. Who who would who would argue you can argue all kinds of things about the Scorpion, but arguing their loyalty? Yeah, and and, and especially when you come to say, his, Kachiko was all behind this and not showed you. That would be ludicrous, mm-hmm. I think, to almost everybody, except mm-hmm. us because we we've read the fictions. But you know who? Right. So I it's think it's easy. not unreasonable. Yeah. <laughs> so well, anyway, go. it was That's a fun story. 
Yeah, it's mm. a fun story. Congratulations, Tyler, if you listen, which yep. you probably don't, but congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. We were going to go on and talk about geisha houses. So the mm-hmm. rest of our podcast, we need to put up a content warning. So mm. this story talked about geisha and geisha houses, and we are going to talk more about them. However, it is very difficult to speak of geisha in historical Japan and give the context that they lived in without speaking of indentured servitude and prostitution. So if these topics are something that are difficult for you, you should probably stop here this week and thank you for listening. But otherwise, mm. we can go on, but there are certain, you know, uncomfortable topics. So be aware. Yeah. So, uh, geisha in Japan, in historical Japan, the first thing to start with is that they were not prostitutes, which is a common misconception and keeps getting brought up, even though it's it's not true. They were entertainers. Their job was to give a customer or a series of customers a nice evening with uh, food and drink and poetry and song and dance all sorts of, you know, they were very cultured and they were able to, the, the idea was to keep the party going and keep the party fun. Uh, the the kanji for geisha literally means art person. And the actual first geisha were men and they were men for quite a while. Uh, but over the, over the period of time, it became more and more women, as was previously mentioned. Until now, the association is that it's a woman who is going to be a geisha, but there are still male geisha, and they have been this whole time, which is kind of interesting. Um, now, although geisha are not prostitutes, they they are they are you know it's adjacent. They started off literally as people entertaining customers, waiting for the very high class courtesans, and the. And so they were men, you know, just kind of, I'm going to keep you entertained while this, while this go, kid goes on and I'm going to, you know, be very cultured so I can do poetry and I can do lovely dances and, and all that kind of stuff. The teenage the dancing girls is, is usually in quotes, uh, Odori, Odoriko. Uh, they were chaste dancers for hire. And so they weren't going to become, you know, they weren't going to become courtesans. And so when they became adults and couldn't really be dancing girls anymore, they started to take over the geisha role. And they started to become, you know, those entertainers, which is, I, I think, is it, kind of an interesting kind of way of this is this is how this happened. I mean, historically, the, a courtesan could be very popular and quite famous. Um, and so the geisha kind of took some of what they did from those ladies uh, but they like i keep saying they weren't prostitutes they weren't sex workers and in fact they were forbidden from doing that to protect the jobs of the actual courtesans um they were also weren't allowed to wear the very ornate costumes that the high-ranking courtesans the taiyu uh they they would wear those and so the geisha wore more normal clothing and stuff like that um these are the courtesans of the Kariukai, the mm-hmm. flower and willow world. Because, as mentioned, uh, geisha often referred to using willow imagery. Flowers mm-hmm. wore the courtesans, and the willows were the the geisha. So 
they became very popular and very fashionable, but but mm -hmm. they weren't, you know, they're different from, from courtesans. Right. So talking about courtesans, because they the story is wrapped up with courtesans, okay? Uh, a courtesan mm. traditionally is a person working in sex for hire, okay? Uh, generally with one with very, very high class elite um, yep. clients. In Japan and China, the highest levels of courtesans were almost like movie stars. Uh, yeah. You, know, you walk around and they've got their parades and their paparazzis and, and then geisha were adjacent to these, these courtesans, uh, as you said, mm -hmm. setting, up, setting them up. In Rokugan, probably because of the sensitivity of the issue, we haven't really seen yeah. anything about courtesans at all. It, there has been one or two off mentions, uh, but it's a very complicated role to integrate with a campaign and, and, and in a storyline, and so they don't talk about it. So in some ways, if you want to have this um, high-class movie star aspect in Rokugan, we kind of need to take it a little sideways. Um, mm. You know, this would be the people who walk around with parades of other people admiring them as they pass and, and ooing and aahing about how beautiful she is and stuff. That wouldn't necessarily yeah. be a geisha. I would say if you mm. were going to translate that role into Rokugan, I would do that, have that role taken by very high samurai-cased courtiers without the yeah, complications yeah, yeah. of sex work at all. So someone like Bayushi Kachiko, when she goes down mm. the street mm. of a city, would go down with a host of her servants and you know people jingling bells as she walks and you know all the commoners coming out and ooing and aahing as, she, as they see her walk up the street and she would be a parade into herself. And you know, yeah. that's the way I would integrate that then of course she lives that, her her normal life in court but that's yeah. the that would be kind of people would fight to have some of her attention um mm -hmm. and, and that that kind of fills that niche as a samurai cased person rather than as a geisha which would be more on the entertainment side yeah um and 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 she and she would be setting fashions and so would the crane courtiers would also mm -hmm. be setting fashions and that would be mm -hmm. and you know people would be like drawing art and making prints and sending that all over the place and yeah all that kind of stuff that could all right. come from your your courtiers right if rokugan sets it that way where uh courtesans mm. the role of courtesans is taken by these um movie star courtiers uh then the role of geisha is more aligned with how they are in the role playing game, which is as party yeah. planners and listeners, uh, they would entertain you before potentially a audience with a high level courtier. Um, mm -hmm. They are entertainers and conversationalists, and they were originally created then to soften up samurai before a meeting. For example, you know, mm. you, you've got a meeting, you are meeting with Bayushi Kachiko, she wants you calm and happy and relaxed. Not then sure. you, know, you have, well, not, <laughs> <What do> you, <laughs> <want that? laughs> 
but yes. <laughs> but someone like a that. A good courtier then, who isn't trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, they want you calm and happy and relaxed before you mm. meet them. Then they have their entertainers, uh, you know, yeah. who are in, jo- in charge of making you relax. And then that's that would be how they originally originated, other than you going mm. to see the courtesan. Um, and then uh, that would be um, become its own industry as people like, it's really nice to ask somebody who knows how to you know, help you relax and have a party. However, there would still be brothels in Rokugan in any setting, really. You can't have that. And that would be a kind of a low, low class thing that is separate from, from Geisha, uh, not necessarily uh, uh, and honorable trade but it is kind of linked yeah i mean that's also obviously how prominent that kind of thing is it's going to depend very much on your particular personal table you know that you're role playing around so you know you that's Mm -hmm. that's a thing you kind of want to make sure you've got everyone on the same page on Mm -hmm. but i yeah i think that that is pretty much how it has to go Um, interestingly geisha did become kind of rock star well, not yeah, fashion icons but that was mm-hmm. much later than i think rokugan portrays in comedy when when essentially the merchant classes became very very rich and mm-hmm. they started to they really liked the geisha and kabuki and stuff and so because they were wealthy they would you know patronize these things and they would become very popular but that's not really where rokugan rokugan hasn't got to that point where the merchants are super powerful so i think that is probably Anyway, moving on. So what are the geisha actually like? What do they look like? Uh, the the clothing and the hairstyles and so forth are pretty symbolic. Uh, although the geisha, like I said, weren't allowed to wear the hu- huge mega flamboyant stuff. So they wore much more uh, ordinary clothing, but still very stylish. Mm-hmm. And then they wanted to project, you know, or feminine or masculine beauty, depending on on their particular style but they so the everything was kind of very symbolic as many many things are to make a very kind of idealized vision of beauty so there are rituals to everything on how they put their clothes on and how they put the makeup on and what uh, they would have different hair decorations for different seasons and things like that you the apprentice geisha also have a distinctive look which is actually more colorful and more vibrant than the full kind of journey journey you know, the, the full working geisha uh, mm-hmm. with their own distinctive styles of makeup and hair and even obi knots uh, they would mm-hmm. tend to have uh, a much more h1 which and it would be so it would actually flow down to the ground and be like a little bit of a train behind them <laughs> Whereas the the adult geisha would be more subdued and have what is called a, a taiko drum tie, which is much more subdued and doesn't float all over the place. But again, <laughs> it's it's you know there's they're still very distinctive and you can really tell who's who. Mm-hmm. Uh, the districts where geisha work were known as hanamichi, which is flower village. Uh, they would be part of an okiya, so that's basically a, a geisha house under an okasan who is Okasan is basically mother. So this is like mm-hmm. a, a the den mother who organizes their appointments, um, trains them, uh, and generally manages them. And so everything goes through the Okasan. 
And mm -hmm. so a samurai who wants time with the geisha has to impress the Okasan, get permission to enter, and basically have to prove themselves and demonstrate that they can behave themselves properly. Mm -hmm. And uh, depending on which okiya you're talking about, they could be some could be very exclusive, very exclusive indeed. You could only get in if someone else recommended you, and stuff like that. Right. So geisha and houses um, basically get their power and their protection from sponsorship by samurai. So either mm -hmm. the lord patronizing them or the courtier who is using them as a as their preparation zone or or you know entertainment zone or or you know the person in charge of the region um who is getting tax tax money off of them um mm -hmm. basically gives them protect the, protection um if you uh basically are rude or demand to see a geisha and mess with the geisha house without all the proper mm. preparation, uh, you are going to be in trouble and going up against the lord of that region or whoever's sponsoring that geisha house too. Many geisha yeah. houses also will even have samurai or ronin guards. You know, they, they, it's, they it's, just do. <laughs> it, it certainly makes sense because obviously if, if you're the lord of the land and you occasionally want to have nice geisha chats, and and have that nice fun evening um you don't want them harassed and you don't want them having to deal with horrible people who are just gonna harsh your mellow and <laughs> every time you want to go down and just have a nice evening they're complaining about some idiot so you're going to start <laughs> saying all right I'll, I'll lend you some folk and i'll lend you your bouncer and if anything goes wrong he'll deal with them mm -hmm. and you know we'll, we'll have a word with the local magistrate so they know that that um, people who end up outside that door with bruises shall be ferried away and, and kicked off, uh, kick, yeah, kicked out, and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So, yeah, it, make, it makes absolute sense. There are some specific families, actually. There's a crane vessel family, the Iwasaki family. The uh, So the Iwasaki family, uh, I think, is one thing that's interesting in that crane have a, a big premium on getting these artistic geniuses in their clan but nobody should mm. know kind of like the phoenix Oshikinja go to the Oshikinja end up phoenixes somehow so there's a yeah. good pipeline for very artistically inclined uh heyman to end up in geisha houses because they actually yeah, yeah. get the training there and then a family like the iwasaki kind of has that transition where you go from geisha to geisha house owner to being a member of the crane clan so it's a good way to kind of funnel in um very very great artistic talents from yeah. the lower well, classes I mean, into the crane clan yeah i suspect there's a certain yeah yeah you you kind of gradually promote people up or even just have them make sure that these these people get the training they need, even though they don't start off a samurai, it would be a shame to waste those talents. So let's make sure they're properly trained. Right. So there's two ways to yeah. do geisha and in Rokugan. Well, there's a couple of days of doing it. We got mm -hmm. sensitive topic. So yeah. people don't necessarily want to bring in the whole, get the whole package. So the safe way of doing geisha in Rokugan is that... Geisha are professionals, just like any other craft, 
probably drawn from certain family lines that specialize that craft. Uh, Rokugan itself is not very big on the whole, uh, I get to do whatever I want to do when I grow up thing. You do mm. what your parents did. So it probably yep. be more likely to go along family lines, but that's the way it goes. Um, in a safe way to do geisha, geisha houses would be strongly defended by stern okasans, ronin samurai at the door, protect it under the local lord like we talked about. Uh, and the lord uses that geisha house as a means of revenue, but they're really just um, entertainers in that case. There's no yeah, link at all to prostitution uh, and even if there was, it would be completely voluntary. However, this is a historical, and it also goes some, against some of the things written about Geisha in the, even in the fifth edition books. But it works very mm. well for groups that want to avoid the topic of indentured servitude, which is the way that Geisha worked in real life yeah, yeah. and we have reference to in fifth edition. So mm -hmm. the other way, the not safe way to do Geisha is by indenture. Yeah. So. Now, this is a pretty common trope in samurai dramas. So it does come up a lot. Uh, so if you're going to go this way, it is possible to be either you or it is possible for someone to uh, sell themselves effectively because of debt or just poverty. Um, but it's sometimes parents would sell their children uh, to, to pay off a debt to become an apprentice in a geisha house. Uh, and once they have been sold or sell themselves, there is a debt, there is a contract. And they, the, the individual has to work for the holder of that contract until the debt is paid off and their freedom is pretty circumscribed. Um, in some cases, that debt can increase because you're paying for your room and your board and your training and the fancy clothes and the makeup and there's interest on it and tum-ti-tum-ti-tum-ti-tum. And you so can end up don't... kind of being stuck. Right. And this is a very common samurai story and just Asian story, you know, fact of life for, for it. Mm. So it, it's kind of hard to avoid this kind of um, indentured servitude. Um, you don't have to include it in your game. It is not no. only geisha houses or no. brothels, or no. it can also be... You could be sold as a servant to somebody. You could be sold as an apprentice yep. to somebody. Um, however, what you are being sold by is it. what you have done is created a contract. Either you or your parents have created a contract, which is a physical piece of paper that has been witnessed and signed and sealed and marked saying that until this amount is repaid, you know, I mm -hmm. own <laughs> the time of this yeah. uh, of this person. I can tell them to do what they I want, and they have to do what I say based on the terms that are written in this this contract. So it's a physical piece uh, of paper. 
and, and they can't quit and they can't say, actually, I've decided on a career change. Tough. You can't. I've got the contract. <laughs> right. And that and the key where the drama also comes in is that that contract, since it is a piece of paper, can be sold, traded, mm. forged, stolen, stolen. lost. You know, all sorts I... of things can happen to this piece of paper. And when you're talking about a piece of paper, this is the life of of the person under indenture, mm-hmm. whether it was a geisha servant or something else. The threat hanging over the person who is indentured, other than just on their freedom, is that that person could be sold, that contract could be sold to someplace even worse off than where they are yeah. currently. So maybe you sell your child to a nice place that looks like it will give them a promising future. Mm-hmm. You know, and they'll just be a geisha and that's fine until they piss off the geisha house owners. And then the geisha can say, oh, yeah. this, this, this Mako, this, this person is no longer, you know, isn't going to work for us. We don't like them anymore. Uh, or, um, anything could happen to you at that point. I'm yeah, going to yeah, yeah, sell yeah. this contract to someplace worse than me. Mm. Like, and, you know, to be sensitive about it, like a brothel. And then you've got to go because now the brothel holds your contract. Um, for yeah. Geisha, this can also be mean being sold because you are older and you lose your looks. Um, so because of this, buying off that contract uh, to or being sold into a position of permanent comfort, sold to someone you want to be sold to, basically, mm. is a, is a very um, is is a big goal for, for Geisha. These contracts have appeared in El Pabar Fifth Edition already. Mm-hmm. So at Wedding at Kyote Castle, there's a key NPC who was sold as a child to a Geisha house. So that's that's a, a time this has been mentioned. And in the adventure that uh, goes along with Path of, Path of Waves, or well, the DLC, event, you can be, this is the adventure that was played at cons as Path of Waves was coming out, The High Woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the PC uh, pregens is a, a geisha who is trying to make enough money to buy off her contract. Right. So contracts if you're doing it this way, would be managed under property law, uh, which means that a magistrate or a bureaucrat will witness the paper being signed. But uh, a, a magistrate would also be responsible for potentially finding it again if it is stolen. These contracts uh, and drama involving trying to buy off these contracts trying to find these contracts if they're stolen, what do you do? They start getting very complex honor dilemmas for your players. Uh, it's a good source of samurai drama, frankly. I mean, they wouldn't be making so many <laughs> samurai shows about them without it being a source of samurai drama. But, yeah. again, we are talking about indentured servitude, potentially the risk of being sold into prostitution, um, 
So make sure you have consent at your table uh, mm -hmm. if you follow any of these plot lines uh, and, and be aware of what happens. I'm not saying don't do it because there is an awful lot of story there. It's just something you have to be aware of for a mature group. Rock again your way and just make sure everyone's comfortable. Mm -hmm. Hopefully uh, this month we'll have some challenge-focused strikes to come out for our Patreons regarding geisha and indentured situations, which uh, might, might prove interesting to you. Uh, we shall see. But I think that's it mm -hmm. for today. I think so, yep. Yeah. Yep, yeah, that's us. Uh, I would like to shout out to Asians Represent, who are currently doing a read-through of the 5th edition L5R, and they are basically examining it from, from their point of view as, as people of Asian descent reading uh, a version of Asian, a game that is based very heavily on Asian culture, and they're giving their thoughts as they come across. We are they're putting, going page by page. Uh, links to both of those. They're going page by page at the minute. Uh, they <laughs> do occasionally skip ahead when they when they, they need to, but at the moment, at the at the beginning, they're they're going page by page, uh, <laughs> and really, it's actually it's a it's really really fascinating. And it's a view on it that I have not seen, and I'm kind of learning a lot from them. I mean, I think you know, kind of depending on. The format is it might not work for a lot of people because they 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 are going literally page by page by page, <laughs> but uh, I think it's truly fascinating and I think it's very interesting to see how they are they are beginning to as how they understand Legend of the Five Rings and Rock Again as they come across it, seeing it as completely new people to it. So uh, it's really fascinating. I think it's really really useful and important stuff. Uh, so I recommend them. They do it on Twitch, um, twitch.tv slash A-Z-N-S-R-E-P. Uh, links in the show notes. And there will also be a YouTube channel for if you want to watch their previous episodes. Yep. And just our normal call out to our sister podcast and Patreons, uh, the L5R LCG podcast with Trevor Cuba and Zara Angus. And uh, our two actual play role-playing game podcasts crimson gold agonies and fortune and strife all of our podcasts mm -hmm. are funded by the discord patreon which supports our editing costs uh, as well as our website where you can store and see longer term information summaries of our podcasts a bunch of rpg tools and more um Yep. For our patrons, we will have special bonus content like uh, Adventure Seeds, Watch Parties, Challenge Focus Strikes, uh, Early Access Good. to Podcasts, all sorts of cool content like that. Right. But uh, that's that's about it for us this week. <laughs> this is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And um, I've been Korval. Until we meet again, keep your jade handy. <laughs> <laughs>